Welcome to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Congress formally recognized same-sex marriages under federal law. At the same time, advocates are concerned about a U.S. Supreme Court case that could roll back protections for LGBTQ people. Also, a mass shooting at a nightclub in Colorado and other incidents raise worries about increasing violence. We'll speak with Native LGBTQ plus advocates about equality and safety right after the news. National Native News, I'm Antonia Gonzalez. Over the weekend, the Native community in Lawrence, Kansas, received a public apology from two men charged for their involvement in the damage and theft of a Native American art exhibit at the University of Kansas Spencer Art Museum in 2021. As Rhonda Lavaldo reports, the incident was hurtful to Native students on campus and at the nearby Haskell Indian Nations University. Sorry for the angst suffering, somberness, and the overall opacity throughout these past 14 months. A crowd gathered in front of the Spencer Art Museum on the University of Kansas campus as two non-natives apologized for destroying the native hosts and outdoor art installation by Edgar Heapabird's Cheyenne Arapaho. The panels are metal signs that include the names of the Ka, Potawatomi, Iowa, Nimaha Haki, and Kickapoo tribes. One of the defendants, John Winchelensky, talked about how he has learned from the incident. We didn't know the nature of the signs. Again, it's no excuse for what we did, and we're grateful for the opportunity to really be here and work with some phenomenal, phenomenal people. They're very open-armed, they're very open-armed with us, yeah. and welcoming, and nice, and kind, and cordial. And we think that that's a great mix between us and them to come and, and, and hopefully create some peace and spread awareness and hopefully continue on our path to become allies of, of the cause. KU First Nations Student Association wrote in a statement, this exhibit was intended to draw attention to the issues of native sovereignty, colonial dispossession, and respect and honor for indigenous peoples upon whose land KU's campus occupies. Native exhibits are incredible tools for creating conversations and drawing attention to our history and the value we bring to our areas of study and our interactions with the community at large. Haskell students were in attendance for the event and Skylar Labahi would have liked to have been able to ask questions. They should have heard what we went through, what we, our personal point of view was but they just closed it and took off. Both Winchelensky and Samuel McKnight will do a presentation at the KU First Nations powwow in spring. For two others accused, their cases are to begin in January 2023. This is Rhonda Lovaldo for National Native News. The leaders of two southern Arizona tribes have been appointed to a new federal advisory council focusing on border security and other issues. As Arizona Public Radio's Ryan Heinches reports, they'll be involved in U.S. policies that impact Indian country. Fauna Otham Chairman Ned Norris Jr. and Pascua Yaqui Tribe Chairman Peter Yucapicio were among 15 people appointed to the Tribal Homeland Security Advisory Council earlier this month. They'll offer guidance to U.S. Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro 
Alejandro Mayorkas on cybersecurity, law enforcement, emergency management, domestic terrorism, and border security. Officials say their experience will be crucial in efforts to keep Arizonans safe and strengthen nation-to-nation relationships. Collectively, the two chairmen represent more than 564,000 tribal members and 178 villages and village corporations. Officials say the advisory group will allow the federal government to utilize the broad base of knowledge and expertise of indigenous people as it relates to homeland security. In April, President Joe Biden signed a bill into law that classifies the Thana Otham shadow wolves as special agents. According to officials, it allows the elite Border Patrol unit made up of indigenous trackers known for their ability to track drug smugglers and human traffickers to better investigate and secure the border. For National Native News, I'm Ryan Heinches in Flagstaff, Arizona. And I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support for law and justice-related programming provided by Hobbs, Strauss, Dean and Walker, a national law firm dedicated to promoting and defending tribal rights for nearly 40 years. More information available at HobbsStrauss.com. Support by the American Indian Higher Education Consortium, working to ensure tribal colleges and universities are included in our higher education system. Information on 37 tribal colleges and universities at AIHEC.org. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Many LGBTQ advocates say they're used to being bullied and verbally assaulted, but the shooting at a Colorado Springs nightclub and other violent incidents are raising the threat level. Those threats come as dozens of anti-LGBTQ laws are introduced in cities and states across the country, and a case before the U.S. Supreme Court could open the door to what advocates say is discrimination by businesses. At the same time, Congress approved the Equal Marriage Act, which would give protections to same-sex marriages. Today, we'll hear from Native advocates about the current political and personal climate for LGBTQ plus people. As always, we welcome your comments and insights. Do you see any new issues of LGBTQ rights being raised in your tribal community? Have you noticed any recent changes in how LGBTQ people are being treated? Join our conversation by calling one 800 996-2848. That number again, 1-800-996-2848. Be sure to get your calls in early. Our phone lines are open now. Our producers are waiting. Joining us first from Window Rock, Arizona is Al Ray Nelson. He is the lead organizer for Diné Equality and executive director for Navajo Nation Pride. He is Diné. Al Ray, welcome to Native America Calling. Hey, good morning. Uh, yes, Yate Benin, good morning. I'm really um, happy to be a part of the show today and to talk a little bit more about the work that our indigenous LGBTQ and two-spirit relatives are doing around Indian country for human rights and equality. But in addition to that, I'm just saying that we're really blessed here in, on the Navajo Nation to receive our first snow shower. So good morning, everyone. <laughs> well, all right. 
uh, Yate to you as well. And it's great to know that there's a uh, snowfall there on the Navajo Nation. Definitely uh, it's that time of year when we can hope to expect uh, winter weather. But uh, all right, today, the, the topic uh, that we want to discuss on the show, uh, some of these issues, I mean, I want to ask you, what is going on here? This nightclub shooting, other acts of violence directed towards the LGBT community. What do you make of it? I mean, it, does it just mirror everything that we're seeing now with social media amplifying so many issues in general? Or are we really living in a time with increased hostility and animosity towards LGBTQ plus people? That's such a, it's such a complex question. Uh, I'll do my best to respond. Uh, what I understand as being a longtime LGBTQ indigenous leader here on the Navajo Nation, um, we've always had to deal with hostility, hate, and violence. Um, it's not anything new, especially to our relatives that live on tribal land. Um, it's been consistently said from so many of our, especially our elder LGBTQ relatives, that have, have and continue to, to advocate for tribal police systems and our tribal leaders to stand up and to protect us from the hate and the violence that we are seeing off reservation lands in the cities like New York, uh, especially down in Florida with the Pulse. You also have um, the things that are happening in addition to um, the recent shooting in Colorado. Uh, you, you know, there, there, there's definitely a pattern here, and it's something that our LGBT guerrillas continue to um, to ponder and deal with, and it's unfortunate. Um, you know, we continue to have that one question is like, what if something like this were to happen on um, tribal lands or on the Navajo Nation? Um, the, the key thing here is to making sure that we prevent any type of violence that happens towards, um, you know, our, our indigenous LGBTQ relatives, and that our tribal leadership utilize our sovereignty, especially when we were under the Trump administration, when he consistently was saying some very violent things against our trans community, against our two-spirit community. And I've always said consistently at that time to President Nez that he needed to utilize, and our Navajo Nation Council, to use tribal sovereignty to create laws that will protect us on our tribal lands, uh, to protect marriage equality, to ensure that our tribal employees have the same rights as every other person on, on tribal land. But in addition to that, we consistently have heard over and over again across Indian country the impact of of violence and hate that's focused towards us. But I also think there's a part of our community that continues to feel optimistic about the future. Um, you know, it's unfortunate that our, our family members, you know, we lost 49 members of our community at the Pulse shooting. Um, it, at that time, it was the largest mass shooting in US history before what had happened in Las Vegas the following year. And now we just recently lost five of our brothers and sisters from the LGBT community um, out in Colorado. and you know, we have seen that a majority of our LGBT relatives that are dying in these mass shootings are people of color. They are, they come from our Latino and our Hispanic community. Um, and a lot of, um, you know, our, our family members are feeling that pain. And we always have to remind ourselves that even in Indian country, on reservations, on our, on our tribal lands, we continue to feel that impact. And um, I, I honestly believe that the Navajo Nation will take steps and will continue to do so to protect our community from anything that should happen, um, but also at the same time guarantee the same rights and privileges that everyone on tribal lands continue to, you know, to, to, to treasure. And the last thing I want to say about this question as well is that, um, you know, we're really excited the fact that the Respect for Marriage Act 
was recently passed by Congress last week. And uh, we got word uh, here on the Navajo Nation, the Navajo Nation Pride in Equality, that President Biden will sign this particular legislation into law at the White House tomorrow morning on Tuesday. So we're, we're definitely excited about this, but there's still a long way to go. Uh, mm-hmm. Marriage equality is just one component to LGBTQ activists on tribal lands have been advocating for. But there are 500-plus tribal nations, and a good portion of them um, you know, have not recognized or guaranteed the right of marriage. But right, it's more than right. that, how do we, the question uh, we have to ask ourselves is how do we protect our trans community from violence? We continue to deal with the MMDR um, movement. Here on the Navajo Nation, we have missing and murdered Diné relatives. A lot of them are, uh, you know, women and children. And within that same component, we have to deal with the increasing rate of LGBTQ youth, our kids that are taking their lives because our own tribal leadership or our own communities will not accept them. And we don't have laws that reflect that. Um, But also, how do we support our trans community from violence? How do we prevent that? Right, right. Well, all right, let's let's talk more about marriage equality, because you mentioned over 500 federally recognized tribes, and, and not all of them uh, recognize same-sex marriages, and, and your Navajo Nation uh, being one of them. So with this, uh, what President Biden's going to sign into law tomorrow, do you think it's going to influence tribal communities like the Navajo Nation going forward? Uh, yes, it will. Uh, it will. Well, the first thing for tribes that do not recognize marriage equality right now it just sends an inclusive message that the federal government is on the right side of history and tribal nations like the Navajo Nation need to, you know, create their own laws that reflect it. Uh, they're, they're, you know, we, we've been advocating for this particular legislation over the course of the last two years. This legislation not, did not just happen overnight. Um, Congress, uh, especially the Democrats and uh, the Democratic Party, have been trying to push forward the Equality Act. And that still is stalled in Congress. And I'm just mm-hmm. – I'm, I'm, I'm happy that we have Republicans that had uh, – a small majority of Republicans that believe in the right of marriage for all Americans. But here on the Navajo Nation, uh, we have a law, a legislation that's going through to the 24th Navajo Nation Council. We just recently had an election. We, re, uh, we elected new uh, tribal leadership here on the Navajo Nation, a new president, a new vice president, and a new tribal council that's majority – uh, has a good majority of Navajo women. So we're excited what our new Navajo leadership will do here in Arizona, New Mexico, and Utah in the Four Corners area. But we do have legislation called the Diné Marriage Equality Act. Um, our organization has been pushing this for the last two years now, and it finally made it through. And it's going before the 24th Navajo Nation Council within two weeks before Christmas. And, and, how, confident, we, uh, and, and how confident are you that that will pass then in on the 24th, the Diné uh, Marriage Equality Act. Yes, we are highly confident this particular Diné Marriage Equality Act will guarantee same-sex marriage, equal marriage for all Navajo families. Um, it will actually repeal the Diné Marriage Act, which will basically, so the Diné Marriage Act uh, of 2005 was passed by a very controversial and conservative Navajo Nation Council back in 2005. And that particular law actually says that unions between members on the Navajo Nation of the same sex is void and prohibited. They actually put the LGBTQ community and our status of marriage at the same level of bestiality and polygamy. So we're, we're, we're defined within that law. This new law that we've been pushing will change all that and repeal it. And it will also guarantee 
equal marriage for all Navajo families. It's not only for same-sex couples. So I, I, I'm confident we're going to get this taken care of. I believe that President Jonathan Nez will sign it into law before he leaves office, and he'll be part of the greater legacy, the greater history of, of the Navajo LGBT community. And we expect him and this council to be champions for us and to take, you know, take the right step of history and, and have our backs and protect us from hate and violence. So all these issues, I always say, is interconnected across Indian country, and whatever happens in the cities around our tribal nations, rather it's in Colorado, Florida, New York, California, Chicago, those, those members of our LGBT community and their issues impact us here on tribal land. So we're interconnected, and we want to make sure that this law passes. We are speaking with Alray Nelson. He is the lead organizer for Diné Equality, executive director for Navajo Nation Pride, and he's giving us an update on recent events impacting the LGBTQ plus community, as well as the Diné Marriage Equality Act, which could potentially be signed as early as before the end of the year. Anybody with a question or a comment for today's show, our phone lines are open, so give us a call, one 800 996-2848. What concerns you most about some of these recent developments, these hostile acts, uh, acts of violence, uh, the nightclub shooting there in Colorado Springs most recently? Uh, <clears throat> five lives were lost tragically in that event. If you have a perspective to share on these issues, we sure do welcome you to join the show today. Again, the number 1-800-996-2848. We'll be right back. Any decisions coming from the United Nations COP15 summit in Montreal should put Indigenous people at the center. That is among the demands coming from Indigenous representatives at the meeting focused on biodiversity that aims to guide environmental policies for their foreseeable future. We'll hear more about it on the next Native America Calling. OCO, prevent the spread of flu and other respiratory illnesses by rolling up your sleeve to get a flu shot. Mask up, sleeve up. Contact your local Indian health care provider for more information or visit www.medicare.gov slash coverage slash flu hyphen shots. A message from the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. Thank you for listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Today we're discussing the political and personal reality for LGBTQ plus people. If you have a comment or a question for our conversation, you can join us 1-800-996-2848. That number is also 1-800-99-NATIVE. Joining us next from San Francisco, California is Miko Thomas, also known as Landa Lakes. Miko is founder of the Brush Arbor Girls Native Drag Troupe and a board member of BAITS, the Bay Area American Indian Two Spirits Community. Miko, welcome back to Native America Calling. Hi, good to be here. 
Well, Miko, earlier I asked Alray if anti-LGBTQ hostility is on the rise. What's, what's your perspective? Are you on high alert right now? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, we're, we're starting to plan our um, two-spirit powwow that we've been having going on now for 12 years. And this year, one of the things that we're considering, of course, is security. Um, you know, before in the past, you know, our security is primarily, you know, just to move the crowds around. But this year, we have to have a little more security because, you know, you never know what's going to happen. I mean, here in San Francisco, you know, people um, consider us to be somewhat of a bubble, you know, because there's a lot of LGBT community people here and there's a large community. But um, just back in June, um, the Proud Boys burst into a library and um, there was a drag queen there, Pandadosi, who was doing a drag queen story hour and interrupted it. And it was really surprising, I think, for a lot of people here in San, here in San Francisco and the Bay Area, because um, we didn't really think that stuff would happen here, of all places. So absolutely. And then um, just back on um, November 20th, um, I was opening up for um, the Trans Day of Remembrance here at City here at City Hall. And when we did that, we had to have security people there as well because we didn't know whether or not the Proud Boys was going to show up in a large contingent or not. So, yes, we're we're pretty much on high alert right now. Now, Miko, what do you think is going on here? Is is this a small vocal minority such as the Proud Boys and some of these other groups that are just getting a, a lot of attention and through social media they're able to amplify their message? Uh, or do you think there is actually increasing sentiment? Do you think they are drawing new people into an anti-LGBTQ perspective? I believe that it, it, it probably is a smaller minority of people that are, are listening. But at the same time, I think that it's sort of um, how you weaponize people as well. You know, people who are, who are angry about, about things. As long as you can put it out there, it's like, you know what the root of the problem is, is this. You know, it's the same way diets work, you know. You you pick out one thing and you say, you know, oh, it's the fat in your food that's making all the problems. So it's very easy to also say, you know, the problem that's really going on right now in, in our world is like these drag queen story hours, you know. And it doesn't really affect very many people. And it's parents that take people to these things. And, um, you know, there's a lot of call of like this is grooming and so forth. But what I would really be more worried about is not a public event that you take your children to, but leaving your children with, like, you know, the Boy Scouts where they spend the night and they're alone. You know, those are things that people should be more concerned about <laughs> than, than in a public area where everyone's there, including the parents. So it's, it's, it's really bizarre to me that they're picking these little things. But I do believe that, um, that uh, putting it out there in the way that it's written um, really is attracting like young, angry people. Young, angry people. And um, earlier, Elray mentioned, you know, his thought that, that President Jonathan Nez of the Navajo Nation will line up on the right side of history. And uh, I just think of my own lifetime and how much progress has been made with these issues. And, and, and it's just really, I think, just really speaks well of of the United States in many ways, just the progress that we've made, the acceptance. Um, it's just been so, so significant. And yet, do you ever take a step back and think, well, 
well, geez, now we're kind of going back in the opposite direction and we're, we're losing some of that progress that, that you folks have worked so hard for over multiple generations? You know what I always compare things to a lot of times is like back to my own tribe. Like what's going on like with my own tribe in Oklahoma? You know, what's, what's happening there? You know, when, 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 you know, equality for marriage before the, it hits the Supreme Court and everything, um, some tribes are already like, you know, making their own laws about marriage, but my tribe doubled down. And then when the Supreme Court made its announcement, then they doubled down even more. And so our constitution is like very like solid right now that, you know, you can't be of the same sex and be married. And so um, then I see also like a silence as well that does exist and continues to exist in my tribe. For instance, let me tell you this story. So we have um, a person who became a part of the legislature in Kansas City, and um, she's the first openly trans person to do so, right? And that's pretty much a big deal. And in my tribe, you get nominated to set on the PTA. You're going to be in our Chickasaw Times, our, news, our tribal newspaper. There, been, there has been no word about the fact that this person has won a seat on the legislature for Kansas. And I think that that's really sad. That's really telling of, of, of my tribe's politics and their conservativeness is that they've said absolutely nothing about it. Mm, yeah, certainly. And Miko, you mentioned you know, some of these younger, angrier people. And when, when I talk to a lot of people uh, about some of these issues, um, oftentimes the perspective is something like, well, you know, it's these older generations that, that are, are very set in their ways and they have this very, whatever you want to call it, this very kind of traditional mindset of the way families should be and the way marriages should look and whatnot. But as those people um, step aside and these younger generations um, take over and, and take control, that, that some of those attitudes and these perspectives, they're just going to kind of go away as the generations shift. And are you confident that, that that's the case, or do you think that there's enough momentum amongst some of these young, angry people that uh, they're going to very much work hard and, and and keep some of these very anti-LGBTQ ideas and ideologies at the forefront? I think a lot of times when you radicalize somebody, um, it doesn't really matter what age they are. Um, once that they've been radicalized, it's sort of like this lasting effect that goes on and on and on. So I think that um, how, how a lot of these young, not just old people, but uh, or older people, I'm, I, I'm old, so I can say that, right? <laughs> but a lot of <laughs> Me these, too. A, a, a lot of these younger people um, that are getting radicalized now, it, it's going to have lasting effects. And it, it, it may not, you know, transcend all over the U.S. because I think a lot of attitudes are changing. I think that people are realizing that um, that family is family, and I think that's very important. You know, I've, I've seen that change even as far back as, like, you know, the 80s. Um, there, were, there were times when um, out here in San Francisco people were dying, literally dying, and some of the parents really weren't accepting that their child was, um, was gay, and they didn't care whether or not um, their body was brought back to the reservation or just cremated. They didn't really care um, because that was the attitudes at the time. So we've seen those things change. Um, I, I have hope. I have hope that things will continue to change. 
But I do believe that the thorn in the side will still be these people that have been radicalized. And I'm interested, Miko, in hearing your thoughts in in terms of what's really driving this, because it's, uh, I mean, on one hand, we're seeing these increased threats in in the violence, but yet, on the other hand, there's this acceptance of of same-sex marriage in Congress. So, I I mean, there's, you know, it's, it's, I mean, how can these two exist at the same time in, in this country, these two wildly different perspectives and attitudes? I think I think such things has always existed. I mean, we we look at the United States now and we see those who approve of like same-sex marriage and everything. And if if we were to put them on in a rating of who all accepts it, there's a large majority of people that do. And most of the states all fall within like the category. But then you have places like Mississippi and Arkansas that are like really opposed, very very opposed. So the United States is 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 just like our tribes, you know, our tribes are very varied. So everybody has a varied opinion. And I think a lot of it is, um, is what you eat, what you what you ingest into your mind, what entertainment are you are you choosing? What what news source is coming into you? What, what, what is that telling you? And I think that is um, that, that goes back to, um, you know, it's, it's it's easier to to get angry than it is to get happy, right? Right. It's a, yeah, absolutely. And and Miko, you talk about the radicalization of some of these younger people, and and how do you work there on your side of it? How do you um, work against the, these these forces, these radicalizing forces that are that are actively seeking to recruit and foster people? With an anti-LGBTQ mindset, um, what's the what's the offset? What is the how, how do you fight that? I think a lot of it has to do with like just reminding people um, that that a we we are people, <laughs> we we are humans. We we may be your neighbor, we may be like close to you in some way. And I think a lot of people forget that because once you start labeling people into like some little small category or something it's easy to sort of like um, deny their humanity at the same time. And so I think, I think one of the ways that you combat that is to remind people, um, you know, where your brothers, where your sisters, um, where, where people in your lives. And, um, and, and, and if you can remind them that, you know, in, in this world, we're all family, then, then I think those can change attitudes. And I think a good way to combat it also is, is just through um, through understanding social media, you know the TikTok generation is um, is is pretty LGBT friendly, but then you have like a darker side to it. And I think as long as you can keep a conversation going, and um, people aren't too far over to one side or the other, then I think that people can come together in a happy medium. And Miko, on a personal level, because. Um, you're heavily involved there with the drag community and just your own interactions uh, with the general public. Um, what, what are you, what are you feeling? Is it, is it more positive? Is it more negative? Is it a, about the same as it's been in the past? Well, you know, drag is one of those weird sort of, sort of things that has, has sort of like become more popular and more mainstream. And um, since I think RuPaul's drag race has changed everything for a, a lot of drag and everything, you know, I was doing drag way before that. And and it really was one of those things where it was like, ooh, you do drag? And 
and and a lot of times people were seen in in a very negative light if 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 you were a part of that world and even dating was very difficult for people who were who were single you know and they were and they did drag and then dating became really tough and so um so when we look back into the past drag has had its obstacles and then this new burst of freedom and there was more drag there's more drag on tv you can see you can find television programs that feature drag queens and um and and your most popular shows all of a sudden they're showing up dancing with the stars all of a sudden there's a drag queen you know and so it's it's become more popular but at the same time i think that there's also that um undercurrent of oh i wish we could just hide this segment of the population so that's always existed, and I think I think it still does to some extent. Um, but I'm happy at at where we are today, where we're far more visible than before. So going back to RuPaul um, as being a real pioneer in terms of um, promoting uh, the drag culture in mainstream acceptance, and, and Miko, do you have any thoughts in terms of protections uh, for drag performers who are being targeted or when threats are, are leveled against them? Um, is, is it any, any way to, to safeguard some of these people and some of these events? Um, at events, I think just being, being more, more cautious and being, um, being more aware of, of the of of the environment that you're in or the situation that you're in. But, you know, it's, it, it's hard to tell if somebody's going to come into a bar with a gun, you, you never know. You can't predict that. Um, I mean, like, it's not like we're going to suddenly um, risk everybody before they come into the bar, although that might be fun, but um, still <laughs> like it, it would be, it would it'd, it'd be a hard thing. Right. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And, um, and then if it gets too, there's too much security. It's like, it's not even funny anymore. It's like, why bother? Um, you know, so Miko Thomas, uh, founder of the Brush Arbor Girls native drag troupe, uh, known as Landa Lakes. Miko, love that name. Landa Lakes. It's classic. Thank you. Joining us from Miami, Florida now is Sergio Papa Rourke. He is this year's Mr. Montana Two-Spirit. He is Koicha. Sergio, welcome to Native America Calling, and I want to congratulate you uh, not only on Mr. Montana Two-Spirit uh, crown, but also you're earning your master's in anthropology coming up soon. <laughs> Hello, relatives. Thank you for having me here today and for the opportunity. Thank you very much. Absolutely, Sergio. Absolutely. And, and I want to ask you, because you immigrated from Peru when you were about 18 years old, and how would you compare the acceptance of LGBTQ people here in the U.S. as opposed to what you grew up with there in Latin America? Um, well, right now, uh, I have like mixed feelings because one of the main reasons actually why I came to this country is because uh uh, the, the violence and the discrimination, the prejudice back in Latin America in the in the 90s was um, very um, radical. Um, so when I heard that, that here in the United States, uh, I would be able to be myself and and maybe marriage the person I love and, and embrace my gender identity. Uh, I came here, right? And now with all of these things that are happening, actually, I'm like, you know, impacting not just um, 
me, but many, many queer people, their mental health, right? And, uh, and you know, creating anxiety and, and, and even something simple that going to a bar and have a drink and enjoy, you know, with friends is becoming uh, dangerous now. Yeah, it certainly is. And uh, we're going to have to take a break here shortly. But when we get back, I want to ask Sergio um, more about that Pulse nightclub shooting in which 49 lives were lost because that occurred there in Florida where Sergio lives. We definitely want to get the perspective on that incident. Anyone with a question, with a comment for today's show, 1-800-996-2848. Let's get some calls going. Again, one 800 996-2848. Let us know what your thoughts are. What's going on in your community? Are you noticing increased hostility or resentment towards LGBTQ issues? Um, do you have a tribe that um, has not recognized same-sex marriages? And you have a, a comment you'd like to share, an opinion that you'd like to state? Give us a call. That number again, 1-800-996-2848. More with Sergio Paparork when we come back from break. The Indian Arts and Crafts Act protects authentic American Indian and Alaska Native artists and craftspeople and their art and craftwork. Under the act, it is illegal to market art or craftwork misrepresented as American Indian, Indian, Native American, or Alaska Native made, or as the product of a particular Indian tribe. Reporting potential act violations can be done at doi.gov IACB or at 1-888-ART-FAKE. Support provided by Indian Arts and Crafts Board. You're listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We're speaking with Native LGBTQ plus advocates over recent events, and we very much value your input, our listeners. So if you have a comment or a question relating to today's show, you can call in 1-800-996-2848. That number is also 1-800-99-NATIVE. We are speaking with Sergio Papa Rourke. Sergio, you emigrated to the United States from Peru at the age of 18, and um, you were told that there was a, a broader acceptance of LGBTQ issues in the community here in the U.S., and yet there in Florida, that horrible pulse shooting in which almost 50 lives were lost. What was your initial reaction uh, when that occurred and coming to a country where you'd been told that there's more tolerance? Yes. Actually, it was very traumatic. Uh, personally, um, it took me a while, actually, to go to a bar or to a club again because uh, it, it, that, that anxiety came uh, after that horrible, uh, horrible uh, shooting uh, very close by from Miami, Orlando. Uh, even until today, sometimes when I go to a bar with my with with my husband, sometimes uh, no, not sometimes, all the time I try to see where is the nearest exit, or you know, in case something happens. It's 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 amazing how the brain works, but uh, basically it's it changed, it changed, and now with what happened in Colorado, it even uh, all of those. Um, it seems traumas that happened six years ago came back, right? Like, oh my God, uh, where are we going? <laughs> In case of an emergency, if something happened, what we can do? So yes, and I'm pretty sure many people of our community um, uh, 
became like like that, right? But but thank God we are resilient and and actually uh, we learned and 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 we try to do our best to to move on. And Sergio, what's your thought on um, this uh, same-sex marriage uh, bill that sounds like we'll send into law tomorrow? Um, do you have any events planned, or what are you and your friends, your husband, what are you folks talking about? Well, we, it's uh, first of all, it's, uh, it's a reminding that, you know, that we have to keep our eyes open and not take not take things for granted you know remember that uh there are many politicians and people in, in our case in florida for example the, uh up to a few years ago equality florida was able to to ban uh anti-lgbtq uh laws uh but unfortunately um just a few years ago two years ago our governor DeSantis uh started doing this um culture war, right, and, and passing these laws of uh, don't say gay bill and, and, and even affecting uh, our, our transgender people, athletes, right? So, yeah, so we, we can celebrate. We, we can say, yes, uh, it, it's, uh, it's wonderful, right? But uh, uh, yes, as you mentioned before, marriage equality is only one one. one, one one thing to 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 fight there is so many things to 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 be done as i say our transgender people uh and also our our the education you know to 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 the, to have the right to receive the the right education about gender gender history gender and sexuality uh even race even race right Absolutely. And Sergio, you're studying native genders and um, also resilience through dance, through through native dance and, and the healing aspects of, of native dance. And um, that's a really interesting, interesting discipline. And how do you use that? How do you use those skills uh, in the communities that you work with? Well, basically, I start doing that as, a, as a, to heal myself, right? Because as an immigrant, as a person of color, as a, as, a, as a queer person, there was a lot of trauma. I, I, I experienced a lot of trauma, right? And when I start going to, to the gatherings and, and to the powwows, um, uh, I went to Bates uh, once and two times in the Montana gathering. Basically, our, my, uh, my relatives there inspired me to do that because um, they danced to heal, they dance to reconnect with their, with their culture, uh, and also to honor uh, our ancestors. So that's something that, as a first-generation uh, person to born in the city back in Peru, I was disconnected for so long, right? Uh, so the community basically helped me to to basically heal myself that trauma that I experienced, you know when I was transitioning to this country. So what I try to do with my career, with my degree is basically uh, try to find the, 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 the social science uh, and the scientific way of how that impact our brain, how we connect with, uh, with the land and with our ancestors to heal and resilience. And, and, and now that I just uh, 
took a class in neuroscience uh, and neuro neuroplasticity. Basically, I'm interested now in 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 research more about how basically uh, mindfulness and dancing uh, help with um, to heal trauma. Mm -hmm. Well, Sergio, thank you again for joining us today and sharing these insights. Uh, emigrating from Peru at the age of 18 and um, this year's Mr. Montana Two-Spirit. Again, Sergio, congratulations on that as well as your anthropology master's degree. And uh, our next guest is speaking with us from Los Angeles, California, Professor Chris Finley. She is an assistant professor of American and ethnic studies at the University of Southern California. She's also a member of the Colville Confederated Tribes. Chris, welcome to the show. Hello, so glad to be here. Yes, Chris, and this discussion we're having with regard to the treatment of LGBTQ people, and what's your perception right now with uh, the current political as well as, as as personal landscape with regard to these issues? Do you ever feel like we're we're moving backward as a country when it comes to LGBTQ issues? Well, I'm more concerned with like um, indigenous people because you know settlers will be settling, you know, and. They're always up to whatever they're doing, you know, um, and we've seen, you know, even in California, right, which I think is, you know, in a lot of ways, very like pro queer, you know, and, and all of that, like, you know, gay marriage, like got taken away. And then, you know, like, and then queer people were like, oh, wait, you know, we got to constantly fight for, for these rights, you know, um, and so I think it's always going to be a back and forth, but you know, as we all know, I mean, and I think that's what's so important about having this show, like even having queer, indigenous, two-spirit people getting a chance to have any kind of space or get to talk about these things. This is a huge step forward in Indian country, I think. And I just love hearing um, from the other, you know, from the other guests, like, you know, that they're living, that they're thriving, that they're fighting. And I find that to be just incredible. And, you know, as a queer, indigenous woman, like my life is always under threat and I'm not sure if I, you know, I mean, I guess in some ways I've felt more in more danger than I ever have. And then in other ways, I feel like there's like a lot of opportunity, you know, at the same time, um, mm -hmm. because my nation, we, um, we passed like, you know, gay equality, you know, marriage, uh, 10 years ago. But the problem is, is that that has not changed the hearts and minds of people, you know, and I think that's the thing that's so difficult for indigenous people is that we have so many things to deal with, you know, um, and I know it's really hard to try to expect communities to be, you know, thinking and, uh, you know, learning about, you know, about queer people to learn about, um, you know, about gender and think about how it's more, you know, fluid and, and to, you know, be more respectful of these issues and like ceremony and just in, you know, gender presentation and all of these things. But to me, like this is the path forward to decolonization because we don't need settler laws in order for those things to start happening, because these are about the relationships that we have between each other and indigenous, like most of our, you know, our, um, our cultures, our communities have always been based on accountability and responsibility, right? And first that was to the land, and then it's to each other. And it's 
we've really lost that as a result of colonization in so many cases. And these are all things that we can start practicing now, you know, because I believe in love and I believe in care. And I know that, um, you know, and I, and it's really hard, I think, to move from this like survival mode that we've been in because our lives and our land are really under threat constantly. But I also believe in having this hope for the future that we've always had, you know, believing in the seven generations to come and really working towards this world that is, to me, that can be beautiful and very accepting of um, two-spirit and queer indigenous, um, you know, people, and especially of our youth. Um, Because as other people have discussed, like so many of our queer youth are committing suicide because they don't see any hope for themselves of being accepted, you know, Um, or they run away to cities hoping to have more acceptance there and, you know, and then finding different kinds of problems. And, and I don't want that to be the case, you know? So, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. The Marriage Equality Act, uh, are are you confident that that's going to influence a a lot of tribal governments who have, have yet to pass same-sex marriage laws? I don't think so. And and to me, like, you know, passing laws are important in our in our native nations, but I also believe that we have to change the way we even think about these things, you know? Um, sure. So, because like I said, like we, like soon as, you know, the Equality Act passed, you know, in, in 2012, like my nation immediately, like we took that up and we did that too, but that has not changed, you know, um, a lot of, you know, the lives of, of queer indigenous people on my nation, you know, because um, that takes a lot more work, right? Mm-hmm. And I know it's so much to expect for, you know, Native people who are dealing with so many other things to really try to, like, open their minds and hearts about these issues, too, you know. Um, so, yeah, so I, I guess we'll just have to see how that all shakes out um, and uh, and hope for the best, I guess. So. Well, you raise a really good point, uh, Chris, in that when we legislate change or we legislate progress, uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that mindsets are are being changed. And going forward, like I I mentioned earlier, as uh, these older generations step aside and and younger generations emerge, are are you confident that that some of these attitudes and and some of these perspectives um, will change for the better? I am really unclear, um, and I really wish this was just a generational problem. Um, I really think this has to do so much with historical trauma because, I mean, I think most people don't really understand, I mean, outside of Native America, about how much trauma and pain and especially shame about our sexuality, about our bodies, that were really implemented in boarding schools. And the problem is, is that a lot of our elders won't discuss their experiences there, right? Um, and a lot of us have not healed those generational wounds because they're just huge, right? Um, and, and I think that, so I would love to say that, oh, you know, that, you know, once the, you know, but no, I actually think it's a huge, it's a much bigger problem um, than just, you know, not having, you know, having elders being, you know, thinking a certain way. I think it's actually goes much deeper and it's much broader in our communities um, than that, unfortunately. 
And the homophobia that exists in, in some Native communities, colonization, is that where the finger needs to be pointed? I think so. And because one of the things, one of the reasons I got involved in, you know, this research and this work that I do is because I heard, and I'm, and I'm talking even Native academics, right? We're saying, oh, you know, queerness didn't exist until colonization. And I'm like, um, no. <laughs> so this is, I, this is not a result of colonization. There has always been queer Indigenous people. Um, and, but yes, I think that the implementation of heteropatriarchy has absolutely caused massive chaos, destruction, pain, shame, and not just for queer people, not just for women, but for our whole community, right? Because like in my family, I can see like domestic violence, like sexual abuse, all of these things happened in the generation that um, like after that went to boarding schools, right? It's just like that fast that you know, these things really started occurring. Um, and, you know, yeah, so I think colonization has a huge part in that. But I also think that now we got to begin to start healing, you know, and doing work towards decolonization. And to me, you know, this, you know, disrupting heteropatriarchy is is the way to, to towards that. So, well, Chris, we've got about another minute before we have to wrap up. But I want to ask you, give you the last word of the show today. And, and what does give you the most hope? going forward with regard to acceptance of the LGBTQ plus community amongst tribal and, and native people? Well, I, I guess I'm really lucky that I get to talk and work with youth and just the massively changing attitudes of like gender fluidity of, you know, and even sexuality fluidity and all of these, there's just so much more acceptance than there used to be. And so I really, I really do have a great hope for us because we have survived 500 years of colonization and now it's time for us to start living, you know, and, and thriving. So. Well, we have once again reached that time, the end of the hour. And let me thank all of our guests today, Al Ray Nelson, Miko Thomas, Sergio Rourke, and Chris Finley for a timely conversation on issues and events impacting the LGBTQ community. Join us again tomorrow as we look at biodiversity and indigenous representation at the UN COP15 Summit in Montreal. Thank you for listening. I'm Sean Spruce. You see the car ads, low price, low payments. Sounds good, but when you get to the dealer, there could be a catch. The dealer may try to add things like extra products or services at extra cost. And to get that low monthly payment, you might have to make a big down payment. The bottom line is this, if you can't get the advertised deal or one you feel good about, walk away. If a dealer isn't honest when it comes to its car ads, tell the Federal Trade Commission, the nation's consumer protection agency at reportfraud.ftc.gov. Support by the Federal Trade Commission. This month and every month, remember, one in three Native American adults have high blood pressure. Check it at your nearest community health center. If the numbers are above 120 over 80, talk to a healthcare professional. Native community well-being is very important. You can take action by visiting heart.org slash hbpcontrol. This support provided in partnership with HHS slash OMH and HRSA under cooperative agreement CPIMP 2112-27 and CPIMP 2112-28.
Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davis. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.